You're listening to episode 58 with Kyle Coberly, Beanie Brady, and Ankur Gopal. You're listening to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor podcast. I think that the biggest problem, like the source of that, is not growing your own talent. As you go, I want people to already have all the skills that I need, but they don't develop those in-house, which is not only like the most expensive way to get a bunch of senior engineers on your team, you inevitably end up playing this like mercenary game, and then they leave quickly. So there's high turn on it also, which doesn't happen as much when you're developing your own talent. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an all-new episode of The Multiplier Effect. Last week at our Endeavor Summit, we attended some fantastic sessions focused on hiring for scale. And as we've been talking about in so many episodes, 2020 changed the way we work. How founders attract, engage, and retain top talent has been rapidly evolving. And so we decided with all these incredible speakers that joined us, we would share with our listeners a few of our favorite panels from the summit. And this week, we're focused on solving the skills gap crisis, how companies can improve their hiring, culture, and training to fill the most in-demand positions. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics estimated a shortage of 1 million software developers in 2020 and expects the demand for software developers to grow 22% per year through 2030. In today's funding environment, technology companies are growing faster and paying more than ever, but most of us are competing for the same talent pool. So this session brings together Ankur Gopal, founder and CEO of Interact, who's been on the show with us before, Beanie Brady, campus ambassador at Flatiron School, and agile product engineer and professor at the University of Denver, Kyle Coberly, all leading educators and entrepreneurs in tech education, culture, and recruiting to discuss how we as leaders and executives can solve this growing problem and fill our most in-demand positions. So Scott, take it away. Thank you, and uh, welcome everyone to our next panel. I first want to thank Adrian and uh, Alejandro uh, for their great panel. And Alejandro, you really set me up for a great transition. One of your last quotes was, go farther when you go together. Today, we're talking about solving the skills gap crisis. At Endeavor, as many of you know, we support entrepreneurs who are building some of the next largest companies in our regions. And the number one need that we see, whether it's in Brazil, Lebanon, Colorado, is talent. Access to talent to help these entrepreneurs scale and create impacts in our markets. And specifically, what we hear over and over again, while the need is across all positions, software engineer, hands down, is the most in-demand skill set we have today. The United States Bureau of Labor estimated that there was a shortage of 1 million software developers in 2020. They're also estimating that, that the demand for that is going to grow 22% each year for the next 10 years. And I can confidently say that the U.S. government did not predict the, the amount of funding that was going to flood into the tech industry over the past 18 months. And that demand has, has driven, gone even. So today we're going to talk about that skills gap, finding that talent, developing that talent, training that talent, and why I'm really excited about this group in particular is that we have three people with a really unique uh, experience and skill set. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but we have, you know, a, a software developer, deeply passionate educator. We have a CEO who's solving this both for their own business and then also, you know, you know, growing like crazy, but saw the need years ago to, to develop their own talent. 
and a career coach, someone who's working closely with folks developing themselves into this industry. So quickly, I'll let you all introduce yourself. If you can give me your name and title, and then what I really want to hear about, why do you care about this problem? So Ankur Gopal, the founder and CEO of InterApp, please introduce yourself. Thanks, Scott. Hello, everyone. I'm Ankur Gopal. I'm CEO and founder of InterApp. We're an IT services firm headquartered in Louisville, Kentucky. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because we're headquartered in Louisville, Kentucky. And as you all may know, there's probably not a swath of IT talent that was here and recruiting people pre-pandemic was tough. So two reasons. One, I was very passionate because my, my vision was, I said, if you know, if I can't get people to move here, I'll just build my own talent with people that want to live here. And it worked. And, but what I didn't see happen and why it became my passion was how it changed people's lives in the process. Not only were we solving a true business need that prevented us from scaling, which we've solved, but also changed a lot of people's lives. And when you create a technology job in a community that needs it, the ripple effect is pretty huge. And, not, and you're ending things like generational poverty, you're, you're, you're improving the economies, and, and literally you're preparing folks for the future of work. So all that is what I'm very pleased to be here and share some of our learnings along the way with all of you. Thank you. And Beanie? Thank you. Nice to meet you, Anker. So I'm Beanie Brady. I'm currently a career coach at Flatiron School, which is a coding bootcamp. But I've had a non-linear career trajectory, and that's actually what I love about the job that I do, because I fundamentally believe that people can change their lives, and the bootcamp space creates that non-linear path. You know, it is not the traditional four-year degree that often takes 20 plus years to pay off. And just as learning how to code, it entails learning new languages and learning how to acquire new languages. Job seeking is a skill set unto itself. So in job seeking, we talk about basics like robust LinkedIn, strong resume, but we really dive into like, how do you tell your story and how do you align with a company's values? How do you stand out in a competitive hiring environment? And how do you communicate your ability to do a particular job especially if you are like neuroatypical or something. So these are the conversations I have every day with bootcamp grads looking for their first job in tech. And I'm bringing the perspective of the job seeker, mostly career changers through the job search process. I know very well the frustrations that a lot of job seekers experience, like handling rejections, frustrating tech assessments, timeliness of employer communication. And I care really deeply about representing the perspective of how meaningful and life-changing it is when someone lands their first role in tech. And Anchor, you're exactly right, ending intergenerational poverty, right? Many many people have, even, have never imagined words like engineer, software developer, coder in their job title, setting them on the trajectory for a career where their sky is the limit. So thank you for having me here and I'm looking forward to a lively conversation. Excellent, thank you. And Kyle? Hey gang, my name is Kyle Coberly. I'm an educator, I'm a management leadership dork, and I'm an agile product engineer. So right now I do a custom curriculum development, one-on-one -on -one coaching with engineers, and independent software development. And then prior to this, I ran the full stack engineering programs at Flatiron School and Galvanize. And it's like why why I care about this problem. So um like what I'm all about is creating things, enjoying life, and empowering other people to do those things too. So I view like uh, education really as an extension of that. As like, how do you how do you craft a life that you enjoy, and how do you like exercise your skills of creation to make things for 
yourself or others and, and what have you. And one of the reasons that I do software engineering in particular, and I was a music teacher for a long time, and I really like that with software, you can make anything that you can imagine. The musician is a very limited number of things you can make, but you can move people and you can create emotional moments. But with software, you can make anything. And so in addition to like the economic effort opportunities like that, it brings up also. And I also really like ending intergenerational poverty and really helping people become the people that they want to be. And uh, so yeah, that, that's kind of what, what turns my gears. And I'll just add that, you know, today I'm the managing director at Endeavor Colorado, but prior to this spent numerous stints supporting people in workforce development, mostly in the software engineering space. I got the chance to work closely with Kyle and similar to, to Anker's experience, was initially very excited about the chance to help solve this industry level problem where we have this huge shortage. And then deeply saw how important this was to individuals' lives and to changing the trajectory of not only themselves, but their whole families and, and, and future generations of, of their, you know, their children. I, I still think about, I still get tingles when I think about a story of, of, of a guy who's constantly shared the complete impact that it had on him and his son and, and the future that his kids are going to have. So um, very excited to, to get more into it. So let's jump in. First, I kind of want to just talk about the problem. Um, the problem in the industry of, of everybody hiring for mid-level and senior engineers and there being, you know, a, a large availability of junior engineers. So Anker, if you answered this first one, from your experience, how difficult is it to build a software development team? And particularly, how difficult is it to hire those senior engineers when you're trying to build out that team? Yeah, great question. You know, everybody wants people with three to seven years experience on software that's been invented two years ago, right? So that's the that's the myth. But but seriously, foundationally, we we find a lot of folks who have coding experience. They've been to some boot camp, some college, some foundational skills. So we really test for that digital literacy. So we talk about. How do you find, you know, where do you, where do you do this? We, we typically have, we've built our software teams and keep in mind, we're an IT services firm. So we're putting people on our, on fortune 500 clients on their projects and be an extension of their delivery teams. So what we have done is we've done a pod structure. So when someone says, I need 20, I need, I need 20 senior engineers. We say, hold up. What about we give you five senior engineers, maybe seven, and we give you 15 to 20 juniors. Your velocity will stay above board. You will not, you will see some slowdowns, but we, what we learned in our business when we're servicing clients is that our teams with our, all our senior people were typically 40% faster than our clients because they've got other priorities and other things. When we added junior people in this pod structure, we apprentices or people who had just come, who came after maybe six to 12 months of learning, they learned quickly. We, we challenged them hard. And, and in the velocity stayed at about 26%. So our clients didn't see the difference, but we were building a, a more robust team. So instead of giving them 20 people, we gave them 27, right? Projects were getting done on time. Sprints were, were, were a top notch and, and sprint reviews were, were stellar. So we were able to convince some of our customers that this sort of structure is not a, maybe a way you're thinking, but it still will yield the results you need. What we learned about when we go and when we started training people and we started changing people's lives, Scott, like you mentioned, that was like, that was a side effect. We need, we were solving a business need. I need people. I need, I need 75 engineers tomorrow. 
and I can't, I found 11. So that's exactly the same problem everyone's on the calls probably face. So we did something about it proactively built. What we did not learn when we started saying, hey, we, we are doing this and it's actually changing the lives of people in communities that don't have access to learn these skills. We got a lot of national attention for that. We were on The Daily Show, we we're on PBS, we we're on The New York Times. And so when people read those about us and all that earned media, I would have senior software engineers calling us and adding me on LinkedIn saying, hey, I saw your piece. How do I work with you? How do I join your company? Because I want to do that and I want to make, I want my, I want to have purpose in my life. And I believe coaching that next layer of apprentices will be a way. So we actually found it was a very effective recruiting tool. And we've had a tremendous amount of, 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 of staying power with that. People love working for us. They love the impact that they directly see our individuals. Our attrition rates for a software firm are under 4%. I mean, that's a number I keep very close track of, which is unheard of. 60% of our software team is people of color. 55% are women. 40% are, are, are veterans or veteran spouses. So you talk about that ripple effect. Oh, and by the way, our clients are signing up for more. So we're delivering quality. This is not a charity. This is a unique way to address a skills gap as well as helping our customers stay competitive in their marketplaces. Because you're not building the next tools for your, in your marketplace, you're behind. Yes. So we are seeing all that come to fruition. And it's been a really wonderful experience to, to solve a business need, change people's lives and deliver great quality work. That's phenomenal. I, I'm, I'm, I'm already inspired to like <laughs> go learn more about how and how you're doing this. One, one, Kyle, I wanted to, to open it up for you to add on, you know, you've been a tech lead at, at high growth companies, as well as, you know, I know you're constantly being recruited to go, you know, lead, lead teams. So sure. from your experience, like how, how difficult is it for, for these companies to build these software teams and in particular, you know, find those senior engineers that everybody, you know, wants. Sure. So it's super hard. And some of it is just like regular market dynamic stuff where like there's a lot more positions than there are people who can do the jobs. Mm -hmm. But I think that the the biggest problem, like the source of that is is actually like not growing your own talent. And so you go, oh, I want I want people to already have all the skills that I need, but they don't develop those in house, which mm -hmm is not only like the most expensive way to, to get a bunch of senior engineers on your team, but it's, you inevitably end up kind of playing this like mercenary game where you're like, all right, well, I, I just got to get the people in here and then they leave quickly. So there's high churn on it also, which doesn't happen as much when you're developing your own talent. And I think that there's always, I think like a root cause of that is trying to go at full speed all the time and like kind of a maximum utilization mentality when you go, oh, well, we don't have time for that. We don't have time to develop these people. Mm -hmm. Well, like best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but second best time is today. So figuring out how you can get that extra capacity to spend mm -hmm. on that so that you're, you're, you're growing your own talent rather than just buying it off the market. Yeah, that reminds me of a conversation I had with a you know, hiring manager and they said, you know, we've been hiring for the senior engineer for a year. And I was like, okay, well, have you done, have you thought about you know, training your own team up into that senior role. Well, we don't have time for that. We've been hiring for this role for a year. And Ankur, I wanted to point out that 4% attrition rate, that's unbelievable. I think you know, this year right now, software teams are seeing a 22% attrition rate. And even many of the best companies that we work with who are much lower than that still aren't at 4%. So, you know, kudos to you. I, I didn't believe my HR team when they told me, so I went and explored it myself, but it's true. 
Hey, and for those on the call, I mean, if there's no other reason to, you know, think about how you're really training and developing your own team and, and, and bringing on those juniors, that right there is a good thing you can bring to your CFO and CEO and convince them this is the right thing to do. Beanie, I wanted to, to shoot the next question over to you. As an industry, you know, you're a career coach, you're talking to the students, but you're also talking to the hiring managers. And how do you think we got to this point as an industry where, everybody's looking for those mid-level and seniors. And we have, you know, data showing that over a hundred thousand grads per year are coming out, whether it's a CS program or a boot camp. And a lot of times it's taken them four, eight, 12 months to get that first job if they ever, if they ever get it. And so we, this, we just have this unique dynamic. How do you think we got, we got here, you know, from your conversations with both the students who are looking as well as the, the hiring managers you're talking to? I would say that one of the things and that I work with a lot with students is how they tell their story and making themselves available for like a senior position. I always say go for it, right? Like somebody can always hire down, but they can't hire up, right? So I have actually a lot of students I work with who apply for senior level roles and get them because they get into the interviews and they tell the story. They tell the story of their previous work and how their previous work with their boot camp experience translates into them being the right fit for the role. That's that's great. And and, and Kyle, do you want to add anything there? Just like thinking about the industry as a whole and, and how we got to this point? I think that a lot of it is that maximum utilization thing and always trying to go at full speed and that becoming almost like a cultural alignment, like a, a point of pride, like, oh, our, our teams are over leveraged because we have all these things. And I think a lot of that is poor discipline. And we're like, and so that's a good thing because that's something you can take action on. But it, it's a very difficult sell when people have VC is barking at them and like all kinds of other stuff. It's like, oh, we got to go, 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 go. And I, I think organizations embrace like a, a sustainable pace more often. We probably wouldn't be in this situation, but here we find ourselves. Yeah, I, I, that makes a lot of sense, right? You know, valuing the growth in the next 12 to 18 months over thinking about, you know, building a sustainable organization right. you know, in the next five to 10 years. And that makes a ton of sense. So this is the question for all three of you is you know, this problem is really highlighted. It, it, it's, it's not, it can't be just fixed in hiring. It can't be just fixed in you know, internal training. It's, it's company-wide, it's culture-wide. So what part of that, what part of this problem is most interesting to you? Like what, are, what area, is it training? Is it, is it hiring? Is it developing talent? What, what, what do you think most about? Ankur, I'll open up to you first. You know, the answer is it's all of the three combined into a nice Venn diagram, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, when when we were in school a couple of years ago, a skill lasted about 30 years. Now, the shelf life of any skill is, is four years. So when you talk about metrics like that and you talk about culture on how so we have a culture of lifelong learning, we have a culture of, of supporting each other, we have a culture of lifting people up. My managers are incentivized to lift the lower people up and get them promoted, get them raises, and then you get yours. So we've built, we flipped the typical consultancy model where it's up or out on its head. So with that in mind, the culture we've cultivated, as an IT services firm, anyone who works in that space, where it's about utilization and hours, right? So essentially, a person has 2,000 hours a year, roughly. So 
that means you, you maximize their utilization. You've got to build them out for 2000 hours, right? However, in our economics and our metrics, we take out parts of it to continually train. So, and we also encourage people, if they finish the sprint cycle early, they've already got a couple of classes that are on their radar to do. We actually have built in our apprenticeship model. If you want to get a raise, you must get these two or three certifications from Udemy, from General Assembly, whatever partner we pick, right? So there, so we are encouraging those people as part of our culture that we expect you to learn. In fact, if you don't, you might be counseled out if you don't keep your skill set sharp. But we also are giving you opportunities to do that inside the firm. We've also partnered with several universities. As we know, the, the debate on the four-year degree versus the non Let's not even go there for this short call. But the fact is that there's some skill sets that we in our training programs don't teach to provide to go through the uh, hierarchy of, of, of upward mobility. So communication, business analysis, learning how to run a PL, learning how to properly handle, handle conflict within teams, all these things. These are things we partner with universities to do. So our our trainees will, and, and Beanie, you mentioned coming from your story. If your story was that you're unemployed and you're begging the universe for a chance, someone gives you a chance, we sometimes get viewed as that chance because we pay for the training, we pay you while you train, and we have a job for you if you pass. So literally it's all the barriers are removed from you and we have expect and focus on the outcome. If you do these things, you get what you want and that permeates throughout the entire organization. So, so that with that in mind, culture, supporting it. My team asked me, I need extra training dollars because the client is looking for this and that could lead to next year when they buy the next $100 million investment in their software, we'll be ready for that. No problem at all. We, we have built those sort of um, levers inside of our company where, in fact, I don't even have to approve it. They just know that Uncle is not going to say no to an additional skill set that we can go utilize. So that is something that has made it very safe. It's very safe to say, I don't know this, or I need a refresher, or I need to know another thing. Yeah. And I've empowered my leadership team and the people even below them to to push for that. So we, we support it wholeheartedly as part of our culture. Yeah. So, I, you know, culture and training is, is definitely what I what I hear there. And my follow up to that, then, is if if you were to recommend one thing to the CEOs, C CTOs on this call that they could change tomorrow to, to, to really try to drive that culture, what would it be? tomorrow. Well, let's, let's, that that's different from the enterprise on down to the SMB, right? But let's, but there is, yeah. yeah. I would say that the message here is it is for the first time in history, cheaper to build your own talent than it is to recruit and retain it. So that is a, that is a true metric there. Like you mentioned, there's, there's a couple hundred thousand people coming out that we all want. Everyone wants these 400,000 graduates or whatever, hundred thousand you mentioned, we all want them. There's a, the demand, this is economics 101. Supply is far low, lower than lower than demand. So we know what's going to happen there. So literally investing in, 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 in not just basically the, the simple message is you can still buy your talent, recruit, job fairs, Indeed, LinkedIn, all that stuff. But you've got to build a sidecar strategy to build your own talent and find the diamonds in the rough, invest in them. They will stay with you. They'll work hard for you. And they will stay longer with you because you're the one who gave them the shot. We're seeing it right now. The good problems we have now is that people are loyal. We didn't expect people to stay with them as, as long as it did. But now that they have, we need to put create additional pathways for them to get into their next level of their career. So we're building these things inside of our 
not just a junior apprentice, but you're becoming a team lead, becoming a manager, becoming a director. We've yeah. seen that pass that progress really well. So, so those are the, that's the message I'd give to CTOs and CEOs, invest your dollars in time because you've got to build, you've got to build a build strategy of your own talent. Yeah. I, I remember having a conversation with the CFO two years ago on this topic and, and he had said, well, we, we tried, you know, hiring juniors and training them, but then they left. And I said, well, did you give them a raise when they were no longer juniors? No, they should have been loyal. Well, they could go get a 30% raise. So it's great to hear that you're, you're going beyond all of that and, and, and really thinking about every piece of the, of the puzzle. Kyle, how about yourself? Like what, sure. you know, what piece is most interesting to you and, and how are you thinking about it differently or how can others think about it differently? Sure. So um, actually, Scott, to tag what you just said, I think that's like a very actionable thing that you could do tomorrow is like, I, I think I think a lot of companies get in the mindset of, oh, but I just hired this person three months ago. I can't promote them. I can't give them a raise. Like we have policies against that, something like that. Well, the rest of the market doesn't care. Uh, and so sometimes those things happen really quickly. And especially in tech, like people can level up their skills really quickly. And so I think you have to look at it in terms of like, how does the rest of the market view my team? And how do I stay competitive with that way more than like whatever your promotion policies are. And so like a thing you can do tomorrow is like do, a, do an audit of that. And who needs like, uh, who needs a raise, who needs a promotion to stay competitive with the market. And like that can hurt because it costs a lot of money, but it really doesn't like that saves money over like your recruiting costs and like the knowledge retention, like the cultural knowledge that goes out the door with somebody. And so, so that's one like uh, very actionable thing that you can do. Another one that like sounds like almost silly, have people sit together like in person or virtually. But I think a really simple thing that you can do to help train people up is have your more experienced folks and your less experienced folks work together. Because there's this patterns really common in software development that is kind of pejoratively referred to as scatter. It's like you break up something into a bunch of individual tasks and then you farm those out to individuals, you assign the tickets to them, and then they do their work and everybody kind of zips it together. Like, I don't think you actually lose any velocity by having you, this exact same number of people, except have them all work on all of this stuff together. There's so much you get from knowledge sharing. Uh, there's so much that you get from even just having different perspectives. This is one of the reasons that you have a pilot and a co-pilot on an airplane. Some of it is that like somebody can take over if one of them becomes incapacitated, but also they just stay sharper if they're both actively doing something. Because if, if, if it were just about, well, if the pilot gets knocked out, we have somebody else who can fly the plane, the co-pilot wouldn't need to do anything. And they actually did it that way for a little while. And they found if the co-pilot stays engaged, both of them end up staying sharper. So if you have like, you can even start with just pairing the whole playbook out there for how engineers can pair. You can use that as a growth strategy tomorrow. And, and if you're really feeling adventurous, kind of the cutting edge of that is a thing called mobbing or ensemble programming. Like have the entire team, like do the work together. And you'd be surprised too, how much like your newer people can contribute to that. Because a lot of times they grew up on some, grew up on some technology that's kind of fresh that they might have the most experience in the room. So uh, there's some ideas. And Kyle, I'll, I'll share something that I know you, you said before is, 
have you know your your juniors pair with the people who are three months junior of them right oh like, yeah definitely the best way to learn is to teach and i know that you're constantly yes. pushing that so yeah beanie how about yourself yeah. what what piece of this is most interesting to you and and i think you know the follow-up what what's the action that that people can take tomorrow so yeah absolutely and i want to follow up on both of these because and i i'm taking notes because what I hear from job seekers all the time is they want to feel safe to make mistakes. They are terrified that they're going to have to get into a job and know everything right away, which then leads to this thing called imposter syndrome, which is actually this beautiful space in the Dunning-Kruger model that you know enough to know how much you don't know. So creating safe spaces to make mistakes, I think, is so crucial. And one of the things that I do in my coaching is I do mock interviews and then I, I record them and I give feedback and people love these because what we, they ask, they ask questions and the questions they always ask are, what are the training opportunities? What are the growth opportunities? What mentorship opportunities? Because they want to solve for this issue of, I want to show up, I want to do a good job but I am terrified that I'm going to show up and be expected to be able to do everything on day one. So I always say, if you got a job at Burger King tomorrow, you'd have to get trained how to make fries at Burger King and what the temperature is and all of that, right? So every job is going to require training. So you don't have to show up on day one knowing everything. You have to show up ready to learn and ready to... Oh, go ahead, Ankur. I see you raising your hand. No, I was just going to emphasize that point. We were talking about imposter syndrome in that regard. We, we've we actually, even, even when you talk about people who come from non-traditional backgrounds that may not have a, who've never had a desk job before, but they went through a boot camp and learned it. Typically, when they come from, say, a construction job or fast food or retail or something with high turnover, they're afraid to tell their boss that they don't know something or afraid to tell them, my car broke down, which has happened to us, and they're walking 40 minutes to work. And that's why they're seven minutes late, right? They hesitate to tell that, and we have to extract it. So we say, we go the extra mile in in, in, in retaining people and finding was the problem. We had a person on the client side that that was late, and 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 the client said, "This is the second time he's late. Like get replace him." I said, "Let me have a, let's have a chance at him." So our team found out that because he was changing his life, he lit, he his car broke down. He was driving thirty minutes to the job site. But when his car broke down, he had to wait for his aunt to take care of his little brother because his mother was working third shift. He had to walk 40 minutes to the nearest bus stop that took 30 minutes to get to the work site. And if that he missed that bus because his aunt was late, he's four, he's he's a few minutes late. He was, I mean, literally we said, this is ridiculous. We basically helped him buy a car, right? But stuff that stuff that most companies would fire over, right? We take an extra notch and go and find the root cause. If it's fixable, it's easier to fix it than it is to, that person has now progressed two levels in our company. He's a team lead and he's doing phenomenal work and the client is thrilled. But we did tell the client, you wanted to let him go. We remind him of that all the time. And now you want me to retain him, so. <laughs> nice, and and thank you. And and Beanie, I think, you know, the, the if for those of the folks on the call who wanna learn how to do that tomorrow, I'll, I'll encourage you to look up culture of error so you know how do you create a safe space for people to make mistakes you create a culture where we openly talk about our errors and, and having your senior and your tech leads tell stories about their errors and talk about the errors that they made yesterday that that creates a safe place for junior engineers to 
be open about their mistakes and talk about fixing them instead of hiding them. I think, which we all know, whether it's software engineer or accounting is not a culture you want to create. So fantastic. So we are, we do have five minutes left. You know, my, my next question, you know, I think Anker, you're the perfect example, but you know, have you seen, the question is, have you seen a company effectively solve this problem? And ultimately what, what are the, what have been the benefits for doing so? So, so Anker, I'll go let you go first. Cause clearly you've saw you, you're, you're thinking about this and you're creating a great culture and, and, and solving this, but without giving away all your trade secrets, how can some, how can some of the other companies copy what you're doing? Yeah, we, we initially, our model is, yeah, so we, we've done it well. We've done it for six years. So we've, we've made our mistakes. We know what we didn't know. We know, we know a lot more now than we did then, but we have a whole division that does nothing but workforce dev and upskilling and that. So that we've, we've invested and we've, we've, we've empowered them to continue to scale our workforce or grow our workforce. So, so, but I will say this, there's company, companies out there because of the pandemic, because of the people realize, hey, it's effective to work remotely. We moved all our training online. It was in classrooms in the past, but our outcomes were higher. We actually have a 95% completion rate, which is 7% higher than in person. But we realized it was because of that culture of error. People were okay typing in a question in a chat versus raising their hand and disrupting a class. Hmm. So I would say that's a very big point, Scott, that you laid on. Let let your people know that we expect nobody to be perfect. I've, I can make a list of mistakes that I've made, right? So we, and we all can. So I think that's important, but as a company, but I will say this, the large enterprise companies, in fact, even the high growth companies that are hiring 50, 100, 200 people at a time, they're calling us and saying, can you build us pods of 200 people, which typically is 240. And we put, you know, the seniors and mids on top of them and, and build that paired programming sort of model for them. So one thing we can help any company here that wants to build this in their, in, in their company, we can, we are one, we're self-serving, I know, but we'd be happy to share what we know because we know how impactful our model can be. We, we do, one thing we, we, I will say a company that's doing it well, um, I can mention EY is somebody we work with very closely and they publicly like a, done programs with us in communities that need 25 jobs is a big deal for Frankfurt, Kentucky or Owensboro, Kentucky. But, so we help, we help support that with them, but they're looking at hiring people you know, with the right skill set. So there's a lot of there's a lot of cultural shifts and policy shifts that are occurring very at a very fast pace. So that's one that comes to mind that's doing a great job at it. I think that any company that is worth its weight in in, in growth is is looking at this way or already implemented new pathways for people that may have come from a different way. So happy to share anything. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm I'm pretty responsive. I read all my emails. So happy to help if I can. Excellent. And, and Kyle, yeah, any company that, that you see doing this well, or, you know, since I think this is going to be our last question, any other resources that you would point people to, to, you know, to, to, to learn more or follow up on this topic? Sure. Amy, did you have something? Yeah, I was just going to point out there are two programs I know about. One is the Twilio Hatch program and Microsoft Leap. And the caveat that I would give for both of those as a coach who has supported many students applying for those is that they are very intense applications like people spend days and they're incredibly competitive so they're really cool uh programs i actually have a grad who's in who's in the microsoft leap program right now and he's progressing really well at microsoft but taking a look at those programs and making those 
either more accessible or the barrier to applying a little bit lower? Oh, totally. Um, I would say like the first thing that came to mind is companies that do leveling really well and really explicitly. And one that comes to mind is Mozilla. Uh, Mozilla has a very like clear uh, career progression ladder. It has characteristics of each level that are real. Like they don't have the like, uh, has done X number of projects or has this many years of experience. It's more like a kinds of behaviors that you expect to see a, of somebody at a particular level. And so one of the reasons I think that that helps is as you're trying to figure out, all right, what, what level does this person sort of sit at? You can do that on something other than, well, they've been here for two years. It's like, all right, well, are they demonstrating mid behaviors or senior behaviors or, or, or whatever else in there so that you can figure out when you need to do promotions and coaching, whatever else, based on that rather than some kind of like arbitrary uh, metric. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I honestly could could spend another eight hours talking to the three of you about this topic and, and would really enjoy my day. But we have to we have to get running. So Kyle, Anker, Beanie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for so much for your deep thought on this topic. If anybody does want to learn more, feel free to reach out to me and I can connect you with any of these three, scott.miller at endeavor.org or reach out to you know anybody directly on LinkedIn. I know everybody here is passionate about this, cares about it, and would love to see more companies really thinking about you know, fixing this problem and uh, developing their talent. So thanks everybody for your time and uh, have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this special summit feature. For more information on this episode and to find out how you can gain access to some of the content from the summit this week, head to themultiplieraffectpodcast.org. See you next week for an all new episode focused on hiring for scale.